Good afternoon and welcome. To, good afternoon and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. You can find our current print edition in our red and white news boxes around the city. We're also in public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, laundromats, social movement centers, and other venues. You can also find us online at independent.org. I'm joined today by my co-host, Amma Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. And we have an amazing jam-packed show today. That's right. In the first half hour of the show, we're going to hear from participants in Sunday's Queer Liberation March. And then we'll speak with a Starbucks barista whose union is challenging their company over its past support for Pride. And we'll speak with an independent journalist who has been closely following the rise in in the far-right movement that's targeting the LGBTQ community. In the final part of the show, we'll have some important updates on the struggle to stop Cop City from a grassroots leader down in Atlanta. But first, it's Election Day. Primaries are being held in New York for a number of local offices, including City Council and District Attorney in Queens and the Bronx. Polls will remain open until 9 p.m. Earlier today, the independents Owen Schacht and Lydia Way spoke with voters in Harlem who will be choosing a new city council member in the most closely watched race of the day. Incumbent socialist Kristen Richardson Jordan dropped out of the race earlier this spring, though her name remains on the ballot. Here's what voters were saying about the three remaining candidates, Inez Dickens, Yusef Salam, and Al Taylor. I voted for Christina Jordan. And why did you vote for her? She's our incumbent council member in Harlem. I've appreciated her stances on affordability and environmental justice and holding police accountable. I voted for Inez Dinkins. And why did you vote for her? I voted for Inez because we need consistency, that she's been in this community. She's working hard for us. And... Um, I think a primary concern of New Yorkers is always housing. I am a mom. I have three children who have graduated college, well, actually two children who have graduated college, and we cannot find affordable housing for my children who are fully employed and working for them to live comfortably in a community that they were raised in. And that is a concern of mine, that my legacy won't be able to stay where they have been born and raised and feel comfortable. I voted for Yusef. Yusef, and why did yes. you vote for him? Because we need someone fresh. We need someone fresh. fresh. Why do we need to someone replace, fresh? Um, to replace Inez Dickens. Because personally, I don't think she's done anything for Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, and people vote for her just because of her name. You know, I have never seen her walk through Harlem. Have you? Stand up on 7th Avenue, but it's time for new blood, like you said. Yeah. I voted for Yusuf Salam. Uh, would you mind saying why you voted for him? Because I, I, um, I'm I, for what he's for. You know, for justice and and making things right and keeping things straight. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm ready for a change. Okay. And would you mind just stating your name also? Wahid Muhammad. I voted for Yusuf Salam because he's young, he's up, he's young, he's He's motivated. He appears to be motivated. And we need new blood. Mm-hmm. That's why I voted for him. Um, so would you just mind saying, like, who you're voting for or who you're considering voting for? Okay. Um, Dickerson. 
because uh, I believe she is uh, for our community. One of the uh, important issues is the gun violence. That's an important issue, gun violence. There's so many people killed, being killed. Um, it's crazy the way the people are getting killed now. Well, I voted for Yusuf because I grew up with him. And I know his situation. So I said he need a chance to do something in Harlem. You know, consider his situation when he was a child. So that's why I voted for him. Okay. That's it. I'm voting for Yusuf Salam. Uh, would you mind stating why? Um, because he was done wrong. He served time for something that he didn't do. And... He's interested in uh, uplifting the community, so he deserves a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. I support Inez Dickens and uh, Taylor. They're good people, but, you know, they already have positions. Mm-hmm. So Yusef deserves to be have, have some say in what's going on around here. That was voters earlier today in City Council District 9 in Harlem. From the people we spoke with, there seemed to be a strong lean toward Yusef Salam. Yes, sir. Reporters approached about 50 voters outside three different venues in central Harlem. Of the 11 who uh, spoke with us, eight said they were voting for Yusuf Salam, two for Inez Dickens, and one for Kristen Richardson Jordan, who remains on the ballot. Uh, now, it's not in any way a scientific sample, but at a min- minimum, it indicates Yusuf Salam's candidacy is resonating with at least some Harlem voters who want generational change and who have a deep respect for his life story and the way he persevered in the face of a terrible injustice as one of the members of the Exonerated Five. And just to note, there's many other city council races uh, uh, with uh, contested primaries taking uh, place today around the city, and again, uh, the polls are open until 9 p.m. Right, and we'll be looking forward to see how how that turns out. Um, Now, moving gears uh, on Sunday... Uh, the Queer Liberation March participants spoke with the independents Elsie Carlson Holt and the Queer Liberation March organized by the Reclaim Pride Coalition is essentially the anti-prom to the city's official pride parade, which is attended by the NYPD and sponsored by many big corporations. Um, so they're trying to maintain the legacy of a Stonewall, um, you know, being a battle and, and a revolutionary movement. Uh, so we're going to go to that clip now from Elsie Carlson Holt. Stonewall started as a riot and, um, you know, if we and the corporateness of pride as of the pride celebration as it is now, there's there's some complacency to it. But the reality is that in many states, um, you know, um, LGBT rights are under attack. Um, Trans children can't get the care that they need. And we still need to be fighting until all of us has um, our equal rights under the law. Yeah, for too many companies, the official Pride events are a marketing event, and um, many, many companies will uh, throw rainbow imagery on their logos, and that's their only contribution to the LGBTQIA plus communities. And our um, our communities are in a state of crisis. More than 500 anti-trans bills across the country. Um, we we need more than performative allyship, which isn't really allyship at all. The Queer Liberation March as opposed to the Corporate Pride March, exactly for the reasons that this organization, as I understand it, exists as a um, as a response to the corporatization of 
of pride of the uh, queer movement, um, not only here in New York, but actually nationwide. And the sort of the attempt to remake us into a sort of heteronormative image, sort of like what we should be, what, what our body should look like, how we should express ourselves, uh, how we should organize socially, you know, sexually, financially, every single way. Um, I think it's it's really wonderful to have an entire community of people around who, to some degree, know that you understand and they understand you. Everybody has different experiences, of course, but it's like, like why you need to figure this out? And then you come to a place like this and it's like, oh, everybody gets that. And it's like a, a nice, it's a wonderful thing. It's also cool to see how many people are queer. Just like, also like, I grew up in like a small town. There's not a lot of queer people, you know? And it's like, I remember when I came to my first queer liberation, I cried. When was your first queer liberation? I think it was like two years ago. Um, And I like, just cried my eyes out. Because I was like, oh my God, like, there's others that are like me, you know? And like, that's awesome. Because I felt so alone for so long, you know? For some of the thousands of participants, Thousands of participants in Sunday's Queer Liberation March, which went from Foley Square up to Washington Square Park. Now, at the same time, of course, there was the the main Pride Parade over in the West Village. And uh, critics of the Starbucks Corporation uh, intercepted the uh, uh, Starbucks float that was in the big corporate uh, Pride Parade and uh delivered their message of uh of uh anger that their corporation has really retreated from its previous support uh for Pride Month and, and a number of stores around the country, uh Starbucks uh baristas have not been allowed to put out Pride uh paraphernalia and the company has been backsliding in other ways. And this week across the country, uh, Starbucks baristas in a Roughly 150 stores are going on strike at one point or another uh, during the week, including in some stores here in New York City. Uh, joining us now to talk about uh, this is uh, Starbucks uh, barista Maria Flores, who works at the uh, um, Astoria uh, Boulevard store in Astoria. Uh, Maria, welcome to WBAI Radio. Hi, John. Good afternoon or good evening. Yes. Happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what happened on Sunday with uh, you guys uh, uh, ambushing the Starbucks float at the at the big uh, pride parade. Yeah. So um, my store, um, along with a handful of other stores from New York City, Long Island, New Jersey and Connecticut, um, we went on strike as a response to Starbucks corporate's uh, treatment of LGBT plus workers um, which is, you know, obviously including but not limiting to the intimidation, uh, union busting, firing of queer workers and the general fair- failure to bargain with the union. Um, I was also striking and I know we, we were all striking in the spirit of reclaiming our power, especially for me as a queer person of color. Um, that strike to me personally was my refusal to be tokenized for favorable press um, when the reality of working in a union shop um, and knowing that side of Starbucks um, was such a different experience. So, 
yes, we were able to intercept the the corporate um, group, and it was important for us to um, reclaim the narrative um, because it is so easy when you have Starbucks money to control the narrative um, that you you they speak for queer people when that was cannot be more than the truth um their union busting campaign has significantly impacted uh gay and trans workers on a level that um they are not um being held accountable for people are being fired people are their um gender affirming healthcare benefits are being um threatened so um i was i'm striking to force starbucks to stop all of their union busting and with no delays no excuses and no more retaliation right and solidarity on that um so one of starbucks union's mottos is uh be gay organize Uh, what do you mean by that oh Oh, I love that. Sorry, love Starbucks that. Workers United, right? I said that wrong. Yes. Be gay organized. Be gay and organize. AK, I'm gay, pay me, please. Um, I think that is so important because my identity as a worker is not separate from my identity as a queer person. You know what I mean? Um, so when I say I am a labor organizer, I... I say that to mean like I am a barista who is organizing my workplace um, and my existence as a queer person is not uh, separate as my existence as a person who works to make money to pay rent. Um, So all of the union busting and union avoidance practices that Starbucks put uh, puts in play in my store affect me and the queer people around me. So um, the message is union busting is homophobic. Um, and while you continue this scorched earth practice, um, you are not uh, showing solidarity. So I, the message is only a contract can codify the benefits um, and the right of, to expression um, for uh, my queer brothers and sisters out there. And what was the reaction of the crowd um, at the uh big uh, pride parade on Sunday when you all uh, uh, stepped up and stepped into that space that it Starbucks was electric. Uh, it was amazing. Um, people were waving their fans on us. They were uh, cheering. It was the crowd was sometimes, you know, 10, 15 people deep and you could only see like hands waving in our direction and fans clacking we were handing out stickers. We were handing out flyers. Um, we were <laughs> helping people uh, join our our contingent, and the the response was um, it was amazing. It was electric. We we were holding banners. One of them said, um, you know, it was a hand painted banner. It said, um, "Labor organizing is queer. Reclaim your workplace." Um, and I think we had such a positive energy um, that it was 
you know, it was so amazing. And when my store personally, I mean, before went a traditional strike line in favor of doing this and we have never reached so many people. Right. And uh, uh, we're speaking with Maria, Maria Flores of the Starbucks Workers United Union. Uh, we, we just have about uh, 30 seconds here. Uh, real quick, what keeps you all uh, going um, with the union? You, you've unionized about 300 stores. Uh, there's uh, 9,000 non-unionized stores, and the, and the company has really tried to, um, uh, you know, uh, target the unionized stores for a tremendous amount of abuse. What keeps you all going? Uh, what keeps us going is knowing that there is no other way out than this. This is our shot to get um, to get job security on the level that um, can help not just us, but the people that will work at that workplace after us. Because the reality is that retail and service work makes such a big portion of the, the jobs, especially here in New York City. Um, I'm lucky to work in the same neighborhood I live in, but that's not the case uh, for a lot of people that have to travel and have to um, have to make so many accommodations to be able to make it to work. They deserve the right to be represented by a union and just as much as any other kind of skilled labor. Also, if I get a new job tomorrow, like some or barista is going to get my my workload. You know, it doesn't end and it doesn't feel good. And if I were to move on to another job, um, you know, I would be put in the same position as a, as a new employee that I felt four years ago, you know, when I joined Starbucks. Okay. Um, uh, Maria Flores, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Maria Flores from the Starbucks uh, uh, Workers United and uh, works at the Astoria Boulevard uh, store. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Independent News Hour today. And when we come back after this short break, we'll talk with the independent journalist who's been closely following the rise of far right extremism targeting the LGBTQ plus community. Where everybody knows your name The feeling always is the same The people shout And they proclaim Take me uptown Where everybody's feeling fine Are y'all all feeling fine? I said, are y'all all feeling fine? I said, are y'all all feeling fine? The streets are lively all the time. Whether winter or in summer's prime. It's that kind. It can't be renamed 
and it will remain. Sugar Hill to Riverside Drive, Malcolm X down to Harlem River Drive, all our dudes in history rooted deep inside, take me uptown, Sunday morning everybody's in their prime, after church we smile and laugh and then we die, and we'll dance and even have a glass of wine, that kind of spirit we call and maintain, it's Harlem, Harlem, Harlem. That was Harlem, Harlem, Harlem by Ulysses Owens Jr. Big Band. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm John Tarleton, uh, your host, editor of the Independent. Also uh, here with my co-host, Amr Gagarian. And we're going to continue our discussion uh, in relation to Pride Month. Uh, this year, uh, more than any in uh, recent memory, uh, the LGBT community has been under intense attack from uh, far-right-wing extremists. And uh, a journalist that we uh, follow closely who follows uh, these trends very closely is uh, Talia Jane. And uh, uh, her uh, Twitter feed is a constant um, uh, update on, on various uh, uh, actions that are going on, uh, both being carried out by far-right extremists and by people who, who seek to counter uh, their influence. Uh, uh, Talia, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. So uh, for starters, what do you consider some of the most uh, uh, worrying trends right now uh, with uh, far-right extremists and their targeting of the LGBTQ plus community? I would say what is most concerning is that the it's not just the far right. It is trickling more broadly into um, more mainstream spaces and by people who themselves wouldn't necessarily identify as far right. Um, we're seeing people pick up on rhetoric and concepts that originate from extremists um, they, you know, they just see it on social media and they suddenly see, you know, a drag queen and they accuse them of being a groomer. Um, and I think that is what is concerning is that it's steeping into the public consciousness, um, as opposed to staying in its own little realm. So uh, in particular, the, 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 uh, transgender community uh, has been targeted. Can you can you talk about uh, how that has uh, uh, gained momentum even in just the last year or two? So, over the past year or so, there has been an uptick in aggressively dehumanizing language around trans people, um, an effort to frame them as inhuman. Um, 
and illegitimate and dangerous. And this is the same type of rhetoric that we see, uh, we, you know, we saw during the Holocaust or leading to the Holocaust, uh, regarding trans people as well as Jews and, you know, the gay and lesbian community and all these different marginalized groups that ended up being targeted by Nazis. Um, and the, the rhetoric of that has been from the start transparently um, bogus, just completely nonsensical. It is, you know, you find one instance out of a million people where someone has done harm and the far right uses that to prop up as proof that the entire group is bad. Meanwhile, they fail to worry about the propensity of, you know, Catholic priests abusing children. Um, they have conflated being trans with being a drag queen um, to then accuse Drag Story Hour of attempting to indoctrinate children by reading books that focus on, you know, inclusivity, self-acceptance, uh, and combating tolerance and learning prejudice, uh, like combating prejudice and learning tolerance. Um, and in the past year, I would say we've seen something like, was it like over 600 leg uh, legislative bills that have been introduced attempting to criminalize the trans identity, access to gender affirming medical care, um, which includes and is largely centered on just therapy. Um, and this is all despite the fact that the rhetoric is already known to be completely unfounded. Um, they're forging ahead anyway. It's a creation of a, an irrational foundation, um, which then is used as the jumping off point for all this other stuff. And we see this with hate campaigns. It is completely disingenuous and they know it's disingenuous, but they are seeking a larger goal than this one specific thing. This is a, this is a stepping stone towards total and complete fascism in the, absolute and technical sense of the term. And for people who might not be so familiar with that, um, <clears throat> build the bridge a little bit. Why is, why is this, you know, um, one of the many steps toward fascism? So fascism is a far right authoritarian like system of government that seeks to instill a sort of, sort of, um, homogenous society where everyone has to be the same type of person. Um, they, there is no room for any sort of diversity of thought, any diversity of personhood. And when you seek to eliminate access, access to spaces that affirm who you are, as opposed to try and force you into being an image pushed upon you, um, that is a form of, you know, enacting fascism. It is trying to push this homogeny onto the broader society. It is an attempt to erase a type of person because it falls outside of a very specific and very hate-fueled image of what a person is allowed to be. So, when we see campaigns targeting uh, brands for 
sponsoring pride events or for, you know, hosting or, you know, collaborating with a, with a trans influencer. Um, these are, these are corporatized things and, and it is, you know, just like a, another form of capitalism that seeks to benefit off of people's identities and make themselves wealthy. Um, but it is something where when you see acceptance like that, even in the most capitalist and exploitative sense, um, that allows space for people to be reminded that like, it's okay to be who they are already. Um, and when that is shut down, what is signaled is that you are not allowed to be like that. We saw that, you know, with the, with the Dodgers going after the sisters of perpetual indulgence, uh, what was it? Uh, you know, Ted Cruz and Charlie Kirk and, and Matt Walsh and everything. They were incensed that the Dodgers would be, celebrating a charity that satirizes um the aesthetic of the catholic church um and the effort of that was to limit the celebratory you know um community around drag and inclusivity and diversity right so right. that and that turned out to be a very ugly protest outside of a uh, dodger stadium yeah. Uh, a week or two ago, uh, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team has celebrated a pride night, uh, I think for over a decade now and has been one of the more, uh, I guess forward looking, uh, sports franchises in uh, the United States on these issues. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, uh, this movement, it, uh, even though it's strongest in the red states is becoming more and more aggressive? in targeting places like Los Angeles or uh, here in New York? What are we seeing on the ground in New York that uh, disturbs you? Well, so there's two parts of that that I want to point out. And the first part is that I think if you look at what happened around the Dodgers Pride Night, you get the clearest um, cross-section to examine these hate campaigns as they are. Matt Walsh very specifically said that their goal is to, I think it's something like claim as many scalps as possible and move on to the next. And it's just like picking a target and pummeling it until it falls and then picking a new one and, and continuing that same process. We saw people from other states outside of California, outside of Los Angeles, uh, banging this drum, trying to whip up a frenzy um, and push hysteria we saw in the protest itself i you know i'm not super familiar with a lot of the specific faces of far-right extremists in los angeles but i still recognized a lot of far-right iconography and far-right figures and, and you know and like it was easy for me to point that out and, and recognize that the organizer of it is from arizona right so we've got these like movements um, from other places, outside agitators, if you will, um, focusing on a space and trying to dominate it with, uh, you know, claims of, you know, we're just here to, cause we care about the children. And we see that now to answer the second part of it in New York City, uh, that has prominently manifested as targeting drag story hour events. Um, we have a group. Uh, that started as they started in the anti-vax conspiracy realm, which is distinct from people who are vaccine skeptical. Um, these were straight up like QAnon MAGA people who adopted QAnon-ish 
conspiracies about masking and vaccines and Bill Gates and George Soros and all these other people, um, they started with the anti-vax phase. They then became further radicalized into the far right. And when the hate campaign targeting drag queens and trans people and specifically drag story hours started to really pick up mid last year, um, they started suddenly being appalled and, and concerned about drag and they started targeting drag story hour events, disrupting them, sometimes physically assaulting people, um, trying to invade libraries, screaming just the worst things, you know, on recording themselves doing it. You know, they, they would then go and try and claim that they're not homophobic while advocating to return to queer bashing. They would claim that they're not, they don't, you know, they don't have anything against trans people and they would go ahead and espouse a bunch of transphobic rhetoric that they don't realize is transphobic because they've just been consuming the propaganda of the hate campaign that is motivating them to do this thing. Um, so for, I think it was since September of last year, this group has been targeting a children's reading event and they have specifically said that their intent is to harass it to intimidate parents and families out of attending those events, to wow. scare them away from that space. So that way then they will not be exposed to what they feel is indoctrinating people, but what is in actuality, just a queer friendly reading event where someone dressed up in costume reads a book saying, it's okay for you to be who you are and it's okay for other people to be who they are. Right. And sorry to cut you off, Talia, but um, we have uh, another minute here. And I want to ask you uh, this last question about what people can do in response, um, um, how to reclaim public space and stay vigilant. And then please uh, just finish off by telling us how we can follow your work or follow you on Twitter. Sure. So there's a an Instagram account that was created recently um, I believe it's called NYC Queer Trans Defense. Yeah, NYC Queer Trans Defense. Um, that was created autonomously by people who are putting up notices about like if something, if a space needs to be defended, a lot of times just, um, physical presence at drag story hours has been enough to deter the, self-described harassers from instigating or targeting the event. They instead focus on the defenders um, in terms of outside of those specific spaces, spreading knowledge and awareness of how these campaigns are manifesting, the intentions that they have to motivate people, the disingenuous rhetoric that they are using and the appeals to rationality and reason and, you know, superiority that they are exploiting to try and get people to join them who would otherwise not you know there's there's a lot of people who would say i'm not a fascist i'm not far right but and then they go ahead and say a lot of things cultivated for them by far-right propagandists um so becoming aware of the rhetoric and the claims and the efforts that these these um essentially bigots are using is an effective tool but also sharing to other people and informing your friends. If you see those things pop up on your friend's social media, taking time to explain to them in like loving kindness and, and collaboration, why that thing is not 
what they think it is and why it's harmful, taking the time to do that is going to build much, much stronger communities that can withstand any type of hate campaign, any type of disinformation or propaganda. So if people want to help combat this, they can, you know, join in, you know, whatever um, community defense actions pop up, but also spread the awareness and the understanding of what is attacking people. Um, and that will help to neutralize it so that we then you don't have to mobilize to physically defend a space in the first place. Um, and yeah, um, Italia, we'll, we'll have to move on here in a sec, but where, where can people, uh, go to find you online? Yeah. Um, so they can find me on Twitter. Um, it's at Talia OTG. Um, and you can, there's links to my Patreon and, um, other stuff that you can look up and explore. I recently wrote a primer about um, if, if people want to rejoin um, protest spaces, but they're feeling concerned or lack confidence because they feel that it's unsafe because it's been targeted. Um, I wrote a pretty long thing kind of helping to step people back into that. Um, that you're welcome to read uh, for free. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the independent news hour, Talia Jane. We are going to take it to a short break, and we'll be right back. Freedom 90 by George Michael. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. I'm your co-host, Amba Gargarian, joined with my, by my co-host, John Tarleton. We both work at the Independent Newspaper, New York City's lefty independent newspaper. And we are here, uh, as I said, on WBAI. Something unique about WBAI is that it's New York City's only fully independent news network. That means that it's the only network um, that is not controlled in what we say by corporate interest. Uh, John and I can choose to report on anything we like uh, without any sway or suggestion from higher ups. And unfortunately, that is very unique in the city, in this country, in this world. Uh, the way that we do that is by being financially supported by our listeners, you. Uh, and so if you haven't given ever, if you haven't given recently, we do need that donation and we do need it from you. Everybody else might not always pick up the slack. So whether it's 5, 10, 15, or 50 or a monthly donation, which my colleague John will explain here shortly, please donate to the independent. You can do so by calling 212. No, no, let's, uh, let's, right now, let's donate to WBAI. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so used to everybody. I'm so used to working at the Indy all the time. Yeah, we, we hustle too for money at the Independent. 
But yes. Right yeah. now we're uh, we're we're begging, we're pleading. Uh, please support WBAI, New York's listener-sponsored community radio station, for 63 years. You can do that uh, by uh, calling 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give number two wbai.org your financial support makes it possible for us to bring on the the kind of voices you hear on the independent news hour like uh, talia jane uh, like uh, maria flores you heard earlier uh, like the voters in harlem sharing their views on what's important to their community on election day and the um the really great uh interview we're going to hear in a few minutes from a leading activist against cop city in atlanta but it all starts with listener support uh, 212-209-2950 or give number two wbai.org and that one of the best things you can do is become a monthly buddy a wbai buddy for as little as ten dollars a month you not only get a lot of great uh, uh benefits uh from that uh, but you really become a part of the financial bedrock that keeps this station on the air with that monthly contribution of 10 15 25 50 dollars whatever you can do um so uh one more time, that number is 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, give now. Also at give the number 2WBAI.org, give the number 2WBAI.org, support independent media. Thank you. Right. Now, uh, we're going to uh, pivot to our, our third uh, segment here. And uh, Amba, uh, you've been following the effort. Uh, to stop Cop City uh, very closely. You wrote a cover story for The Independent about it in March. And now there's uh, news of a grassroots campaign underway in Atlanta to collect enough signatures to have a ballot referendum uh, in November uh, that could finally put a stop uh, to this uh, monstrosity of of a project to build this giant police training facility um, on the outskirts of Atlanta. Uh, yes, I have, John, and, and we'll hear some more on the background of that in a minute um, with this interview. But I will say that with the recent events, you know, um, I've been uh, pretty excited to follow. And one of the movement's slogans is that Cop City will never be built. And you'll see that ran everywhere in their spaces. Um, and I believed it for a while. And, and you know, I, I, I think I am starting to believe it again. So earlier today, I spoke with Dr. Jacqueline Eccles who has been in the fight against the construction of the police training center known as Cop City since it began. In June of 2021, the idea to make a new police training facility in Atlanta emerged. It would be the largest of its kind, 170 acres, and more than 43% of trainees would be brought in from other states. It would be in the South River Forest in southern Atlanta, DeKalb County. It would be funded by the Atlanta Police Foundation and the city. After over 17 hours of public comment, during which opposition was expressed by more than a two-to-one margin, the Atlanta City Council voted 10-4 to to approve the plan in September of 2021. Soon after that, people started living in the woods, where the site is to be built in an act of protest occupation. The Stop Cop City, or Defend the Atlanta Forest Movement, is made up of Atlantans and many of their allies from all over the country and world. There is a strong environmental aspect and an abolitionist or police reform aspect of their plight. 
The movement stretches far beyond those living in the forest into neighborhoods of Atlanta and beyond. Here to talk with us today is environmental community activist, Dr. Jacqueline Eccles of the South River Watershed Alliance, a group that has been integral in the environmental struggle to stop Cobb City. Dr. Eccles, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thank you, glad to be here. We're really excited to have you here too. This is definitely a treat. So. Tell us a little bit about the land that the facility is being built on and why you and the South River Watershed Alliance and others initially opposed the building of the police training center there. Uh, the training center is, is, uh, is being built or folks want to build it um, in the headwaters of the South River. Uh, so we're talking about uh, the city of Atlanta and, and DeKalb County. The facility is actually uh, uh, on scheduled to be built on land owned by the city of Atlanta that's in DeKalb County. Uh, and so um, the impact on the river, the impact on the community, uh, the impacts of climate change, they're just uh, a litany of, of reasons to, um, to, oppose, uh, to oppose this, this project. Right, absolutely. And talk a little bit more about the South River watershed and the forest there. Um, and how it's, I think, the largest urban forest in the country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, the, the, the site uh, is uh, right at 300 acres, actually 297 acres, uh, which in, in 2017 was supposed to be protected um, as the South River Forest uh, for the benefit of the community, for, uh, you know, to address issues of climate change. Um, and um, it, and suddenly, um, you know, the the city of Atlanta, the council, the mayor, you know, decided to renege on their promise. Um, and it was actually uh, passed, this particular initiative was passed by the city of Atlanta unanimously. It was signed by the mayor. It's included in the charter. It was put in place via the ordinance. And then, uh, and that was in 2017. And in 2020, the city just decided to renege on that promise and uh, to hand it over to the Atlanta Police Foundation to build this mega uh, police facility, you know, as you mentioned, of 171 acres of that 300-acre site. As you've told me, the South River area and, and DeKalb County um, is home to a lot of black and uh, underserved populations, um, poor parts of Atlanta, and that plan did not go through to preserve the forest, whereas a plan to preserve um, the, the river, the Chattahoochee River in the wealthier parts did. So that is the story of this country, but important to note. So let's go back to the recap. So earlier this year, after one and a half years of forest occupation, one of the forest protectors, Manuel Tortuguita Tehran, was shot, most probably with their hands raised up in the air in a forest raid by uh, the Atlanta police, DeKalb County police, and Georgia State police as they began to clear the woods for construction. That was the first environmental activist to be killed by the police in the United States. Since then, the forest occupation has been over, essentially, but the persecution of Stop Cop City protesters continues, with dozens of them having been slapped with trumped-up domestic terrorism charges that now Sherry Boston, the DeKalb County DA, says she won't prosecute. 
although Georgia's AG, Christopher Carr, will. And earlier this month, members of the Atlanta Solidarity Fund had their house stormed by a SWAT team on what seems to be falsified claims of charity fraud and domestic terrorism. Since then, Homeland Security published a letter saying the bail fund group does not, in fact, qualify under its definition of domestic terrorism. And just on Saturday, heavily armed officers tried to make people in Brownwood Park leave as they held a vigil for the slain protester Tortuguita, but the Stop Cop City Instagram page says with photos that vigil attendees, quote-unquote, collectively marched police out of the park. So the opposition continues, and now there's a big movement to collect signatures for a referendum to stop the project. Dr. Eccles, can you please talk about that and how it's going? Uh, actually, you know, it's, it's going really well. It's, it, it, there was a delay, you know, uh, trying to get the, the documents uh, approved through the, the clerk's office with the city of Atlanta, uh, as you might expect, um, any way to stop this from happening. Um, you know, but if folks are really energized around it, and, and personally, I think it's um, there. We are pursuing this from a number of standpoints, you know, both legally, you know, with some environmental Clean Water Act uh, issues that South River Watershed Alliance is pursuing, in addition to uh, the, um, the the referendum, uh, which requires, of, of course, you know, hundreds. Uh, uh, that requires tens of thousands of of, uh, of signatures. You know, a massive effort uh, to identify folks and get them to sign petitions. And there are you know requirements about uh, being very careful of how you get those those um, those signatures and who signs off on them. Um, you know, so that they aren't disqualified, you know, uh, and so it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot, uh, uh, it's a lot in terms of, of, of an effort that's, that's undertaken, you know, by just, uh, everyday, uh, citizens that are opposing, um, you know, Cop City, but it has to be done. I think it has a great chance of, of being successful. I think if we get the signatures and get it on the ballot, it will be successful, and that will stop that, this issue. The good thing about this as well is that if we get, or when we get the signatures, it's an automatic pause on the construction that's going on every day out at that site because the idea is to kind of uh, undercut, kind of break the morale of of everyone who's working on this by just working as, hast as, as hastily as they can uh, and destroy as much of the 171 acres as they can. Uh, but, uh, you know, that has not deterred the determination of folks working on this in any way. As a matter of fact, I think it's actually energized. And so you, and so you say um, it's an automatic pause. So once the referendum um, once the signatures are collected, you're saying that puts the pause? Right, or if the, right. No, once no, no. the signatures, so once 56,000 signatures yeah. are collected and verified, and those are from people who were registered to vote in 2021 in Atlanta, then right. that will pause. If it passes, it will end. Right, exactly. And, and until when do you have to collect the signatures? Uh, till the end of August, so okay. a over two months. And when will the referendum vote be if it makes it on? Uh, in November. Uh, but there's some some uh, folks who uh, organizations that are really adept at doing this. I think the NEACP legal 
Fund is one of the uh, organizations that are helping, is a very dedicated group of, of volunteers uh, that have been training. So uh, I think just the enthusiasm, and I think just the idea that so many folks in Atlanta are, um, are against this and you know, all of the tactics that have gone forward uh, to stop this effort, all of the misinformation, uh, uh, is that has been promoted um, or, or propagated, you know, throughout the community um, by the city of Atlanta uh, and the, the Atlanta Police Foundation. I mean, there's just a lot of energy uh, around this, and that's why I think Great. it will be successful. Great. And quickly, the level of the construction already? The construction, uh, they are moving dirt. They have demolished all of the trees. It looks like a war zone out there. Uh, they are moving dirt around, uh, you know, until they they scrape the land and remove the dirt. Uh, we can always put the the trees will grow back, um, and that is that's kind of the critical point is to stop this before they actually just remove the dirt from the site. Then there's nothing for trees to grow back from. Uh, so that's that's the the goal. That's why so many folks are working to make this happen stop the construction and get this done by November. All right, that was part of a conversation I had earlier today with Dr. Jacqueline Eccles of the South River Watershed Alliance. A longer version will be up on the independent South Cloud tomorrow. And there's one correction to that. Just to be sure, it's about 63,000 signatures that need to be collected um, by Atlantans in order to get that referendum. So... You can learn more about the history of that land and the entrenched struggle to protect it in an article I wrote in March for the Independent called Stop Cop City, The Fight for a Forest and the Future of American Policing. And it's on independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. And I'm on Gargarian. Also, there is a protest on Saturday, July 1st, this Saturday at 2 p.m. at Union Square as a part of a Stop Cop City Week of Action and a benefit show tomorrow night in Chinatown. You can see more information about this on Instagram at Weelani Defense underscore NYC. That's W-E-E-L-A-U, N as in Nancy, E-E-D-E-F-E, N as in Nancy, S-E underscore NYC to get more info. Okay. Thank you for that update, Amba. And with that, we'll have to uh, wrap up uh, today's show. We thank our board operator, uh, Reggie Johnson, and also want to let people know to stay tuned here on WBAI. There's more great programming coming up. Uh, A rebroadcast of this morning's Democracy Now! from 6 to 6.30, interpersonal update with Harriet Fraud-Wolf at 6.30 to 7, revolutions per minute programmed by the NYC DSA chapter from 7 to 8 p.m. out FM, 8 to 9 p.m. Cat Radio Cafe from 9 to 10 and the Sweet Spot from 10 to 12 p.m. So stay tuned here to WBAI. And Amba, what's our uh, musical outro today? An extremely beautiful song called Way Out of No Way by the Stop Stop. Stop Cop City Choir recorded live in March of 2023. You can find the Stop Cop City Choir on Bandcamp. There is something deep inside, some wisdom that we find, some strength to survive, some holy light, some holy light.
this moment will be served, regardless of what's deserved by my